It's 11.30 at KRVN on this Tuesday, the 13th day of April. It's time for Midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for tuning in to the World Voice of Nebraska. We have a busy, busy afternoon on tap. The whole gang is here in the flesh, if you will. Susan Littlefield will hear from her in just a moment. Jason Jorgensen in sports. Bob Rogan will tell us how stocks are performing so far on this Tuesday. And, of course, as we've been kind of talking about it so far today, the lousy weather that we're seeing not only today, but it sounds like that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. We'll, of course, hear more about that from our own Paul Perkins at 1145. My potatoes are covered up because they're already up. Are they really? Yes. So I have a sheet over them because it's supposed to get so cold tonight. Well, it's nice that they're growing already, though. I know. It's Susan Littlefield. She's joining us here in the studio. Uh, you haven't planted anything else, though, I assume. Um, I have carrots. They're starting to come up. My onions are up, but that's it. I, oh, and okay. my rhubarb is way up. That can weather anything. That can Rhubarb's handle fine. anything. Yeah, no, the rhubarb is, is good to go. And the blossoms have not opened on the cherry trees or the apple trees yet, so they just need to stay right. intact so we get past off. this mm-hmm. couple days. Mm-hmm. So, All right, well... As we get closer to spring weather, hopefully we can start to plant more and more. But what do you have for us on midday? Kicking it off here at 1219, I'll talk with Congressman Adrian Smith. He gives his two cents worth and a little bit more on 30 by 30. Gives us that Washington, D.C. perspective. So if you feel like you're lost, don't worry. We're all in the same <laughs> boat trying to paddle. 1245, Alex will come in with the part two of her Nebraska State Dairy Convention update. And we continue our Women in Ag series. This is going to be a blast of an interview at 117. The woman she interviews, Wilma Hauserman, is from Arapahoe, and she is 93. Wow, okay. Not going to want to miss it. All right, look forward to all that and more coming up on Midday. Uh, how about Jason Jorgensen? Let's switch over there in sports. Uh, what do you have for us today? Well, we'll hear from one of Nebraska's newcomers, wide receiver Samare Torre. He was asked how to pronounce his uh, last name at yesterday's presser. Most of the media have been saying Torre. That's Torre. Oh, Torre. So Samari Torre. And uh, he was an All-American at Montana. And he comes oh, in yeah. to help out the Husker offense. And it sounds like he's kind of meshed uh, pretty well. Uh, they're playing him in the slot. Some thought they'd play on the outside, but he's a slot receiver right now. It's nice that we're finally able to hear from some of the student-athletes and the coaches and, and, and see some of that stuff going on once again. Uh Spring is for talk, though, and there's been a lot of talk in Nebraska football for a while. Let's let's see some results this fall. That's that's where I'm at. No, I agree with you. We're all to that point. I think it's been uh, no. heard this before. Worked on his game. He's throwing the ball so much better this year. Yeah, but this is the best practice we've had yes, all year yes. long. Also, an interesting story. Old Doc Sadler. He's in the running to potentially go back to UTEP and be the head coach out there, where he had the most success of his coaching career. But, yeah, he's kind of doing things reverse in his right, career, yeah, hitting yeah. all the stops he was at when he made his way through. So we'll give you the latest on old Doc. So is he interested in the job? Or are they oh, kind yeah, of recruiting he's, him? he's interested. Okay. It's that's mutual. Wow. All right. Well, we'll see how that works out. Uh, let's turn things over to Bob Broken. How are stocks performing? Slow start to uh, stocks on uh, Wall Street as the market loses some momentum following its rise last week. Also, uh, U.S. regulators have recommended a pause in using the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine remains to be seen whether that will have a big impact. Some experts are saying it won't, and uh, they say that we'll be able to make up the difference. Okay, all of that and more coming up on Midday. Here's Time for Regional Ag Weather Update with Paul Perkins. 
And Paul, today it's a little cool, and unfortunately these <laughs> trends are going to continue. Yes, uh, unseasonably cool weather continuing uh, probably for at least the next 14 days. Mm. Uh, especially cool right now in the Nebraska Panhandle. Temperatures there in the mid to upper 30s. We do have some persistent cloud cover right now from about Ogallala to Lexington and points to the south on into western Kansas, but otherwise a fair amount of sunshine across the rest of the region. In those areas, we are seeing a little more sunshine in central and east Nebraska onto nearby parts of Kansas. Those temperatures more so in the mid-40s to around 50, but once again, from about Ogallala to Kearney down into west and central Kansas, temperatures more so in the low to mid-40s. Next 14 days. Yeah. I don't like the sound of that. Yeah, that's the way the long-term forecast is shaping yeah. up right now. Uh, we do have a ridge of high pressure that's just off to our west where it's going to be much warmer than normal. But for right now, they've got that ridge continuing to stay just to our west where the warm weather will continue. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, <laughs> and there's a chance, then you'll tell us here in a moment, that we also might see some precipitation as well. Yeah, a lot of areas probably in need of a little more of a boost shot of some uh, precipitation. Not looking at great totals, but we could see some uh, decent amounts at least to kind of supplement what we have been getting. But again, today uh, and the next several days, it sounds like about 10 to 15 degrees cooler than average. Yes, yeah, staying on the cooler side here, at least uh, dry for a few more days before that likely chance of moisture really starts to move in through Thursday night into Friday. Now, today and tomorrow, low pressure over the northern U.S., keeping those northwest winds occasionally on the breezy side. And our temperature is once again about 10 to 15 degrees cooler than average. Light rain and snow possible in western areas for tonight through tomorrow morning with some disturbances off approaching low pressure. Tomorrow going to be mainly dry with some partly to mostly cloudy skies. Additional light rain and snow chances move into the west and central by tomorrow night into Thursday. The likely chance of rain with some snow mixed in arriving for Thursday night through Friday as low pressure emerges from the Rockies. Most of the liquid precipitation totals expected to range from about a quarter to three quarters of an inch. It looks like the better chance of seeing those higher totals from southwest Nebraska into western Kansas. We do have that latest uh, precipitation total map on our KRVN Facebook page. You can see, take a look at it there. Any of the snow accumulations expected to be on the light side, but western areas, you may want to watch this system later on in the week. Our daytime highs on Friday, very chilly. 20 degrees colder than normal. The weekend will be dry with a slight warming trend before another cold front arrives on Monday. In the long-term forecast, below normal temperatures will continue for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. Sunday through April 26th. During that time in central Nebraska, our daytime highs on average in the low to mid-60s with average overnight lows in the upper 30s to around 40. A ridge of fine pressure to the west helping to keep it mainly dry with below normal precipitation Sunday through April 26th in Nebraska and Kansas. So temperatures at 7 this morning and at the 4-inch depth, as low as the upper 30s in the Nebraska Panhandle to north-central Nebraska. Soil temperatures in the low 40s were found in west-central, central, and eastern Nebraska, as well as nearly all of Kansas. Soil temperatures of 45 to 50 confined to East Kansas to the south of I-70. Key weather factors for the markets include a colder pattern across the central U.S. and limited rain chances for central Brazil. Cool weather will persist for at least the next several days across much of the central and eastern U.S. Freezes should occur each night this week across the northern plains. Temperatures possibly falling below 20 in some locations through the weekend. Multiple freezes will also affect the central plains, while weekend frost and scattered freezes.
freezes may reach as far south as the northern Texas panhandle. Scattered frost also affecting parts of the Midwest. In the Midwest, the colder weather this week slowing the growth on winter wheat. Frost issues could cause concern all through next week for northern Midwest producers who planted early. Cold air in the Southern Plains also slowing the development of winter wheat and bringing some freeze threat to far western areas. Central Brazil crop areas forecast to see just some light rain the rest of this week. The concerns remain high for the lack of moisture before the onset of the dry season, which usually gets underway in early May. Yields for the Central Brazil winter corn crop now unlikely to meet expectations. So as you mentioned, uh, chance of frost for some areas in the next uh, week or two. Uh, if you did plant your garden already, if you have something coming up, you may have to cover it. Yes, because, uh, I mean, we're talking daytime highs on Friday, only in the low 40s in many locations. And even tonight, we're going to be seeing some, uh, over the next several nights, sir, we're going to be seeing some temperatures definitely getting down to around freezing or below as far as uh, we could see some mid-20s on into the Nebraska Panhandle. So mm. definitely not out of the woods for any hard freezes here. So basically, if you're looking to plant your garden, you may want to wait uh, at least to maybe the end of the month, essentially. Yeah, it looks like that warming trend will finally break into our area, but definitely I would be waiting until May 1st for sure. All right, keep those tomato plants inside <laughs> while you can uh, if you don't want them to spoil. So, all right, very good. For a full weather forecast, where can you go? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you very much, Paul. <laughs> We continue to get those nuggets of 30 by 30, but really how much information are we finding out? I ask that of one U.S. congressman. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I talked with 3rd District Representative Adrian Smith about 30 by 30 and what he's hearing coming out of Washington. Well, it's amazingly little information out of Washington. Um, I, I'm... I guess not shocked by that, but disappointed. Uh, colleagues and I have requested from the president, you know, here's an executive order. We need more information. Uh, without more information, it, it certainly uh, puts us all in a situation of, of speculating what this is. Now, on its face, I have concerns about it because Nebraska, with notably few federal lands for as far west as we are, I have to think puts us right in the crosshairs of, of this objective. You know, President Biden has has really um, bowed to the far left with many of these executive orders. I think this is part of that. Uh, certainly uh, the president owes more details to the American public and especially those of us from rural areas where we are skeptical of the federal reach and the, the power of the federal government. So what can be done? How can we go about as landowners educating ourselves about 30 by 30? Well, as, as information becomes available, I'm to to share it with constituents uh, so that we can. Um, I would this kind of effort would be a vote of, of Congress. Um, but I, I am concerned, though, about the just the ambiguity. But overall, the, the government taking over these lands, we know that some of the activist groups that the president is aligned with right now are not friendly to animal agriculture. Uh, ultimately, you know, we, we want to make sure that consumers, those those folks who who have to eat, uh, are, are not shortchanged by what I think is very inappropriate policy. And, you know, already the federal government owns a lot of land in the American West. You know, I believe 90 percent of federal land is west of the Mississippi. And, and that's in addition to 
you know, the federal land because there are significant uh, national parks and so forth on the East Coast. So, you know, I learned in, in during the shutdown of 2013 uh, when the National Park Service clearly abused its authority during the shutdown uh, to try to to get political leverage using their resources. And I, I think it was totally out of bounds and has certainly made me very skeptical of the federal government acquiring uh, even more land or, or power over over land. Taking good production land and not allowing it to continue on to the next generation has been some of the biggest concerns I've heard from farmers and ranchers I've spoke to over the last couple of days. Right. Uh, the death tax and the, the president wanting to increase the death tax and, you know, saying it's revenue. What, what I am sensing is that the, uh, the death tax, the estate tax, uh, some of my colleagues in Washington are really viewing that as a social justice issue. And so they want to distribute that wealth, even at the expense of a, a family farming or ranching operation or small businesses of, of any kind. Uh, I, I'm one who, who doesn't think that, you know, the children of, of someone who, who died an untimely death should have to, you know, take out a loan or sell off part of the business just to satisfy the federal government. That, that, to me, is un-American. That's my conversation with Congressman Adrian Smith. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Daisy Jordan back in the studio with us. And what we're starting here is from some of the Husker football players out of Lincoln. Yeah, spring practice continues. Uh, they brought some of the guys up yesterday. New wide receiver Samare Torre. Samare Torre came up in front of uh, the press. Of course, he comes to Lincoln after starring at Montana for three years. And he says he already feels pretty comfortable in Lincoln. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so far, it's been everything that you know I was kind of hoping for. You know, really smooth transition. Uh, yeah, and I'm. I think it's going really good so far. Torre had plenty of options when he was looking for a new school, and he says Nebraska offered a lot of things that he was looking for. Just somewhere, you know, a place that really, like, needed me and had an opportunity for me to come in and step in right away and be, you know, helpful to the to the younger guys and uh, just an offense that kind of, you know, fit my skill set and found ways to, you know, utilize me, and that's, that's, what, that's what I've had so far. Now, Montana, he was an FCS All-American who had almost 2,500 receiving yards and caught 20 touchdowns touchdowns in three years so far this spring the huskers have been lining him up in the slot position well he's not wrong he he will get opportunities they they need a, another wide receiver i think the biggest thing is though do you have anybody to throw him the ball yes although we keep hearing heard this before stop me if you've heard this before that adrian martinez is much improved this offseason they're throwing the ball deeper and all is right in the world. Don't you think it, by now they would stop saying these kind of things? I, I get it. You have to, uh, to a certain degree, you know, pump up the program and the players and everything. But goodness, it's been- I'm to, I'm to a point now. I don't. I mean, it's part of the job. But I want to see what happens in the yeah, fall. Yeah, I'm I'm not buying into any of the hype. Done it before. I'm I'm done with it. Yeah, yeah. I want to see what happens in the fall. <laughs> Why can't he just get up there and say, "Hey, listen, we're making some progress. Uh, you know, we still have a long way to go, and uh, we'll move on to next week." Amen, Tyler. Amen. Amen.
I'm just saying. You know, I'm, I'm making you a cranky old man. Yeah. No, I don't know. No. <laughs> I think everybody's along with you. When you keep repeatedly saying the same thing, or this is our best practice, or this is the best we've looked all year long, and then you come and get beat by a team that you're supposed to beat, and you lose by 30 points at home. Preach on. I'm just saying. Yeah. Everybody's get to that point. Yeah. All right, continue. Four Nebraska volleyball <laughs> players were named to the American Volleyball Coaches Association All-North Region team today. Nicklin Hames, Maddie Kubik, Lawrence Difference, and Lexi Sun were the four Huskers who were honored. That means they now move on to the All-American ballot. And Nebraska assistant coach Doc Sadler could be returning to UTEP. Sources around the program say that he's one of the front runners to return as head coach. Mm. Of course, he was there as an assistant, then took over when Billy Gillespie left to go to Kentucky. He had a good two-year run with the Miners, going 48-18. and 18. They went to the NCAA tournament one year, going 25-7. and seven. We'll see if Doc ends up back in West Texas. So, two things. Just, why would you want that job now, I guess? And then, two, if you're with the Huskers, maybe he knows that they're not going in the right direction. He wants out. And I know that he got put into a different position. Right. But it's just an interesting time in a career to take that job. It is. So we'll see. Also, right. you're going to be okay. The Nuggets will be without Jamal Murray. No, I will not be okay. <laughs> no, I will not be. But I can't do anything about it. It's awful news. Uh, you know, felt good about this year. but It'll, it'll be another year in which uh, the Nuggets will not be playing in the NBA Finals. No, and I've, I apologize for my Twitter followers, <laughs> you know, whatever, But because uh, I'm always complaining on there. It's not going to get any better, but apparently it's all we do now is complain about yep. sports. But. <laughs> Gotta love it. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Time for Midday News. Dave Schroeder has stepped in the studio. And, well, Dave, we're finding out more information about a uh, somewhat big fire out in the panhandle from this past weekend. Yes, involving another railroad. But uh, think back here uh, just a couple of weeks ago at Gibbon. They had that... uh, train derailment and understand most of those uh, areas been cleaned up pretty well there and and of course tracks the train's been going through there for quite a while now but uh, but out in the northwest part of Nebraska there was an accidental fire on the roof of a Burlington Northern Santa Fe facility in Alliance and it left millions in estimated damage over the weekend. The Alliance Fire Department was called to the BNSF yard in Alliance at around 12 30 Sunday afternoon for a fire reported in the roof with Hemingford firefighters providing mutual aid. Fire Chief Troy Shoemaker says firefighters found the blaze in between the metal roof and a roof membrane in an area where the roof met the exterior wall of the tower structure. And it got underneath the roof flashing, um, some structural, uh, some wood members, um, and then the wind helped it take it across the uh, the roof to the south end, to the southeast end of the building. So all the the all the fire damage exists is to the roof, but we had major smoke and major water damage to the interior of the building. While only about a hundred thousand dollars was caused to the roof of that building, there was an estimated total damage of three million dollars. With every drop of water poured onto the roof to fight the fire entering the interior and potentially damaging sensitive electronics inside that were uh, estimated by the state fire marshal at perhaps two million dollars, but that figure could be higher. 
Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts says he has rejected a federal request to help house unaccompanied migrant children. The Republican governor just says he disagrees with the Biden administration's policy of allowing children to go to sponsors in the United States, usually parents or close relatives, while they pursue asylum cases in heavily backlogged immigration courts. He says he wants the state's resources used for children already in Nebraska. Ricketts says federal officials should instead work with Central American governments to reunite the children with their families in their home countries. His statement came days after Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds made a similar announcement. The Nebraska Game and Parks Commission encourages experienced anglers to share the experience and introduce people to fishing in the third year of the Take em Fishing Experienced uh, campaign. Experienced anglers who participate will know that they've introduced someone to an activity they can enjoy for a lifetime while also sharing their love of the sport. There were 4,700 entries in the first year of the campaign and more than 6,100 last year. For more information, go to OutdoorNebraska.org. A 47-year-old man uh, has a terminal cancer. A 47-year-old man with terminal cancer has uh, been freed from a Kansas prison after officials agreed his medical condition is so severe that he is not a danger to public safety. The American Civil Liberties Union of Kansas says... Christopher McIntyre was released Monday from the Lansing Correctional Facility in Leavenworth County where he was serving time for aggravated burglary. The Kansas City Star reports that McIntyre is among 105 ACLU clients who requested clemency from Governor Laura Kelly. McIntyre was originally scheduled to be released in 2024. His attorneys have said he could die before then. McIntyre said in his clemency application that he has cancer masses in numerous parts of his body. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. We're continuing part two of our conversation with the Nebraska State Dairy Association Executive Director, Chris Bosquet. Chris, when we stopped part one of this conversation, we were talking about some of the learning opportunities and some of the issues that you guys were hearing from producers from the past year. There's also another side to convention, and that is the awards and the honors that were given out this year. Tell us about this side of convention. Yeah, it's probably my favorite thing to do uh, when we're at the convention is pass out and recognize our, our friends of the industry as well as, as the dairy farmers who have, have committed their life to making uh, great food products for, the, for, the, for the, the people of this world. And uh, we were able to recognize uh, Governor Pete Ricketts this year as a friend of the industry. And, and as you remember back in the 2019 floods that we had and even uh, this past year in 2020 with COVID-19, Governor Ricketts was actually vital in our navigation of these of those issues and providing weight easements for our milk tankers uh, and allowing them to fill completely full and travel to market so we could be as, as resourceful as possible with our products. And he also, uh, he didn't do that just once, but he did it twice. And that was a huge help for us. Uh, he also was instrumental in the livestock producer grants that we had this year. And, and so our industry really just wanted to say thanks and ap- appreciate him for his leadership that, that uh, you know, he had throughout those two uh, really difficult situations. And so we gave him our first annual uh, Friend of the Industry Award to thank him. Uh, we also gave and, and recognized Bill Teal as our Dairy Industry Person of the Year, um, I think 
if you're in the industry, you know Bill because Bill's been around for a long time and he's been active on multiple boards throughout the state and really been a key player in, in uh, getting the Nebraska State Dairy Association to where it is today. And we were happy to recognize him and his efforts in the dairy industry and, and celebrate uh, all of his hard work. Uh, leading down into uh, our, our somatic cell count and our quality awards throughout this year, uh, you know, that's also another thing that we get to kind of stand up and beat our chest about is not only do our farmers uh, produce really high-quality milk, but they love doing it. And so this year was the first time that we have ever had a dairy farmer sweep the somatic cell count quality awards and uh, Tolls Dairy, so Todd Tolls and Pat Klitz and, and the, the farmers up there in Shelby and Butler County swept the somatic health, uh, cell count awards. And I think the lowest somatic cell count that they had was 113,000. And that, when you're looking at uh, at a, a somatic cell count, that is insanely low and it's it's extremely difficult. And so just goes to show that our, our dairy farmers really truly do produce the highest quality milk in the in the country. Uh, when you go uh, down the line to the herd production awards, uh, we were really proud of our farmers there as well. You know, Nebraska ranks sixth in the nation for production per cow, and so it's a very competitive. This award uh, we were able to award to uh, Steph U Dairy uh, was was number one in the Holstein division. And in the crossbred division, Crook Dairy was number one uh, in, in the crossbred division. So very, very difficult award to win and, and super proud of those farmers for working and and, uh, and pumping out as much milk as they possibly can. So you also recognize the dairy ambassadors, which were announced a, a little prior to the dairy convention, but you also crowned a princess. Tell us about these future leaders in the dairy industry. Yeah, the Dairy Ambassadors uh, is really, they're the ones that are out there trying to grow demand and connect with the younger audience. And we were extremely excited and appreciative of last year's Dairy Ambassadors, but this year we have a really good crop of of ambassadors coming in. And uh, Midwest Dairy plans to utilize them uh, going forward to increase demand and connect on social media with with their followers. And and so you'll be seeing the dairy ambassadors around the state. Um, also, last year we had a, uh, a dairy ambassador that decided she wanted to be a dairy princess this year. And so Lindsay Marat, uh is now our Nebraska dairy princess here in 2021. And so we're really excited for the leadership and, and those two programs and uh, excited to get them out and entertaining and, and meeting people throughout the state to bring dairy industry forward. All right. Great information. Well, Chris, as we move into the spring season, what are some things on the Nebraska State Dairy Association's radar that we need to be aware of? Well, as we move into spring, uh, our legislative session is winding down. We still have a few bills that we're monitoring and advocating on. Um, broadband is number one that we're that we really need. You know, as as the dairy industry becomes more technologically advanced, we need to make sure that our farmers have that infrastructure available to them and so we'll continue to monitor that and advocate for that and also we're hot and heavy in dairy uh, processor recruitment Um, we are we are going to be in the future here rolling out a dairy revitalization plan which consists of a dairy study that is being completed right now at the university of nebraska 
which is going to show the economic value or the economic impact of one dairy processor moving to the state of Nebraska and what that would mean for the rural vitality and the rural reinvigoration of our of not only our communities but our schools uh, in the rural areas. So we're really excited about how the dairy industry can play a part in reinvigorating our, our rural areas and uh, can't wait to push this project forward and, and really put the foot on the gas pedal when it comes to growing the dairy industry. All right. Great information, Chris. Thanks so much. Absolutely, Alex. Thank you. That again is Chris Boske. He is the executive director of the Nebraska State Dairy Association. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are off to a sluggish start on Wall Street as the market loses more momentum following its rise to records last week. Johnson & Johnson fell 2.2% after U.S. regulators recommended a pause in using its single-dose COVID-19 vaccine to investigate reports of possibly dangerous blood clots. Travel-related stocks, including American Airlines and Delta, also fell. U.S. consumer prices increased a sharp six-tenths of a percent in March, the biggest increase since 2012. While inflation over the past year rose a sizable 2.6%, the big gains were expected to be temporary, to be a temporary blip and not a sign that long dormant inflation pressures were emerging. While most Americans have weathered the pandemic financially, about 38 million say they are worse off now than before the outbreak began in the U.S. Overall, 55% of Americans say their financial circumstances are about the same now as a year ago. And 30% say their finances have improved. That's according to a new poll from Impact Genome and the Associated Press. But 15% say they are worse off. The problem is more pronounced at lower income levels. The leaders of three dozen major Michigan-based companies, including General Motors and Ford, have announced their objection to Republican-sponsored election bills that would make it harder to vote in Michigan and other states. The businesses issued a joint statement saying they are united for principles such as equitable access to the ballot and the avoidance of moves that reduce voting, particularly among historically disenfranchised communities. They stopped short of weighing in on specific legislation. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. This Women in Agriculture feature is brought to you by NCTA. Wilma Hauserman has been involved in agriculture since she was born, 93 short years ago. Well, I guess I was I was born in it. <laughs> I uh, helped my dad when, when I was a kid, and I guess that was how I got started. In the late 1930s, before she was in high school, Wilma said she remembers her parents' operation being... <laughs> very small it was hard times you know farmed with horses and things didn't grow so well then the corn was little nubs most most of the time as the years went on her family's operation began to grow well when i started high school my dad borrowed money from the fsa which was a government program and bought 12 milk cows and my older sister and and older brother and I milked those cows before we went to high school and that's how we got to go to high school 
As you can imagine, farming methods were a bit different back then. But when she was finishing high school in 1944, Wilma learned to drive a tractor. Yes, my parents had moved from Kansas to uh, Minden. We farmed with horses there. Two horses, a team of horses on a, on a, what they call it, a lister. The lister planted the corn in a deep furrow and, uh, the neighbor had to try well we uh, i guess my dad my dad did uh, plant corn with a with a tractor but he somebody had to ride the tractor and somebody had to uh, run the planter or the lister and i learned to drive the tractor there a slow poke tractor <laughs> and wilma said that was about the time that farmers were just starting to get tractors on their operations One local farmer was looking for some help running equipment, and another young gentleman applied for the job, but it was Wilma who got the job. When my folks lived right there at Mandan, which was only a couple of years, I uh, went to work for the neighbor's wife. She had a new baby. That was during the wartime, and uh, the, the neighbor, he went to the the employment uh, place looking for somebody to drive the tractor. He had a pull-type combine, and there was one guy there that was looking for a job, and he he wanted to know where the front wheels were on the tractor, if they were out in front or under the tractor. And the neighbor thought if that made a difference, he didn't need him. And I don't remember if I volunteered to drive the tractor. Anyway, I got pretty good on that, uh, pulling that big old combine around. <laughs> and after that, Wilma started to learn how to run other equipment and became a vital part of the diversified farming operation she grew with her husband, Eldon. Oh, yeah, I guess I ran most every machine on the farm. Yeah, I hauled a lot of silage, chopped a lot of silage with a tractor and a pull-type chopper. There's so much more of Wilma's story, but unfortunately, we're out of time for today. But that again was Wilma Hauserman of Arapahoe, and this Women in Agriculture series is brought to you by Tyson. Playpen on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in on your grain settlements with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, a lot of green on the screen versus yesterday's red. Realistically, do we just call it today kind of a retracement and just maybe some profit-taking for those nearby shorts? Could be. I think the weather in the wheat markets might be firing some rally here. You know, the July kind of just inch its way back up towards 6 bucks. Uh, you know, that's going to keep corn... It's going to keep a floor under corn, uh, given the, the offers you hear out there that, you know, they're trying to move feed wheat by putting it below corn. So if wheat prices are going up on the board, it's going to keep the board higher. I think basis is strengthening in both beans and corn. In central Illinois is really strong right now. And I think the market right now is really looking towards delivery. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a few folks who can take it, I imagine. Uh, cash basis well above the board, like I said, in central Illinois. So it makes more sense to just put the pressure on the price on the board and see if it'll rally here. I think there will be a, a nice little maybe run up to six here before the uh, the May goes off the books. Um, it's, a lot of it depends on wheat, though. 
Yesterday's crop progress report, another thing noticing topsoil moisture northern plain states like North Dakota still extremely dry. What does that mean for fringe acres for corn and beans? Can we still get to 90 million without some of those key states? Yeah, I, that's a, it's a really, that's the dynamic I think we'll have to watch going forward here. Um, you just need all hands on deck to, to, to kind of hit 185 million, which is, you know, the max number I think we've seen out there. 92 million for corn and, and maybe, you know, 90 million acres for beans is more realistic, but you need, you need to have most of this, the, uh, the areas that are going to plant, plant. I think we'll watch here the, the planting pace for, uh, for spring wheat. I think if that's rapid, it's probably indicating those guys are going to go ahead and plant wheat. I think it's a, it's a decent play for them given the, uh, the prices trading up with the high sixes for, for Minneapolis, uh, for that new crop. So short term here, I think you're going to see some consolidation, not a whole lot to really trade off of other than weather. Uh, currency obviously will be a big part of this as well, um, but uh, you know, no, no Fed meetings this week or anything like that. So, just kind of keeping the eyes forward, looking for demand reports that come out at the end of uh, of next week when it comes to livestock. Does grains offer any uh, inflation protection like we're seeing the precious metals today? Uh, yes and no. I think there's some fundamental reasons that the prices are higher, not just on the inflationary side. You know, wheat's got a pretty bearish fundamental story. Trading. 20 percent above, 30 percent above, I guess, depending on where you look at it, uh, relative to the last few years. So I think the inflation trade is already in it. Um, but obviously, you know, looking at currency plays across the books and euro getting weaker, you can probably do some other things in, in foreign currencies if you know how to do it. That is John Payne, senior marketing analyst. Learn more at DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. If you miss anything, you can catch the Midday podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors at krvn.com. <laughs>